0: everyone, this is what your archaeologist didn't tell you. Today I am on with linguist Amo. Today we're going to be giving you an update on the Scott Stripling Mount of Balkhurst tablet. Just, just to straight out, you know, for those that just, just are here for the update, Scott Stripling and the gang submitted the article for the Mount Eball curse tablet to the Archaeological and Anthropological Sciences Journal. So stay tuned for the significance of this update as well as what impact it plays on the authenticity and importance of this find. Linguist Amo, go ahead and give us your background.
1: Um, so. Um, I have a master's and MA degree from Liberty University in Biblical Studies. Um, Right after that, I took Hebrew and um, Greek. I got those under my belt. I was just uh, recently accepted into uh, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary uh, for a THM. And then I'll probably do my PhD there. I'm not really sure yet. And it's going to be an Old Testament text criticism. So uh, that's exactly what uh, I plan on doing. So, yeah, Um, what you guys, don't know. I don't know. I uh, for text criticism, do it's um comparing manuscripts that um families of manuscripts. So you'd compare Genesis with other Genesis manuscripts and you do find out what is a better translation, what um is redundant or whatever. Um, so that would include the Septuagint, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Masoretic text, um, things like that. So that's that's what I'm gonna uh, do when I'm finished. So
0: Alright, sounds good. Awesome. Alright, so let's get into it. Tell us what this picture is here.
1: Uh, this is a picture, supposedly a, a picture of the Tetragrammaton with only three letters instead of the four and it has a, a yod, a hay, and a vav in the, what Stripling or uh, Petrovich would argue is the Proto-Hebrew alphabet script. Okay. Um, it looks more like the early alphabetic scripts of like say the mid-second millennium or, or early second millennium so we're looking at 1500 or before Okay. so that's what this looks like to me
0: gotcha 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 all right and um yeah so we have the english translation here uh curse, curse, cursed 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 by god yahweh you will die cursed cause, cursed you will surely die cursed by yahweh cursed 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 now to most people listening this is going <laughs> to sound like nonsense um uh, also, who is, so who is this found by? Uh, what is, you have, obvi- um, you know, this drawings made by Gershon Galil, uh, mm-hmm. Scott Stripling. Tell us who the people are and um, uh. other people that are also significant in this whole thing. Yeah, um,
1: well, Scott Stripling is an archeologist um, and he, uh, he works um, alongside ABR, which is um, Associates for Biblical Research and he's currently usually they do excavations around shiloh i think um and he found this um tablet if you will um in an unprovenance which is a fancy term for saying it wasn't found um in situ which means it wasn't found as is in the in the ground it was found through a wet sifting process so um that's what we mean by unprovenance um Going back about forty years, though, there was um, Adam Zertal who excavated this site from eighty-two to eighty-nine. I think um, around the Mount Ebal, the um, the um, the uh, altar there. He discovered the altar, and then he seemed to think that that was the altar discussed in Deuteronomy twenty-seven and Joshua eight. So that's where the the tablet was found. Now um, the tablet um, is actually it's if it's folded. So we can't actually open it up because it'll dissolve. It'll be destroyed if we do, but we can do tomography and we can find out what letters are, in, are incised on the tablet. And that's what they found here was that uh, inscription curse, curse, cursed. And it's a, a it's supposed to be a chiastic, uh, a chiasm, which is a literary device used in biblical Hebrew, which kind of, it goes A, B, C, C, B, A, um, in that order. So A the the beginning and the end would be related in the middle and and so on and so forth so that's what a chiasm is in general uh uh, for that so um yeah that that's what they found
0: abr abr what is that the people who uh sponsor scott troubling in them is that what's going on here
1: sort of um he gets he gets other financial backing from ah i forget the university um but um he gets financial backing from other sources, but he, he does work alongside ABR. Um, so he works and he works alongside uh, Peter Gertz, uh, Peter Gert von der Fein and Johannes and with uh, yeah, Johannes Gutenberg University. So um, he does work alongside and Gershon Galil. And I'm not really sure what the reputation is as far as uh, this inscription is concerned. Um, but from what I'm hearing, it doesn't look good. Um, I don't know why I just, I'm just, this is just hearsay. So, um, don't quote me (laughs) on it. So, um, that's, what's going on with this.
0: Okay. And, uh, Um, yeah, so, um, did you want to say something else?
1: Oh, yes. I was going to say, so we're, they, they did when they did the scans, um, it was, they, they brought forth these, um, sensationalist claims saying that, oh, this is going to change. How um, uh, biblical archaeology is done, and um, um, yeah, uh, how it's gonna change biblical archaeology. And then um, this just puts the nails in the coffin for the documentary hypothesis uh, and sensa- all these sensationalist claims. And that's really not how it works. Um, it'll be an interesting find when they publish this, um, like you said they'll publish this in the, in the journal. So we'll probably read it in the journal, but on the whole, we probably won't give it that much, uh, but we'll see, so.
0: Gotcha, so um, yeah, significant. So this is just claims that I found online from either ABR or the actual people doing the, the publishing the article or just even news journal articles, so importance. Mm-hmm. Some people have said this is the early mention of, earliest mention of Yahweh in Hebrew, uh, that they, the, the pottery found with the tablets can be dated back as 1400 B.C., so that would be a super old inscription. Uh, once again, uh, earliest Proto-Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And it did, it said, some said that it, it demonstrates that writing and reading didn't, did exist in Israel at this early date, and thus portions of Scripture could have been written at this time, as the Bible affirms. They put the weight of the evidence for the Exodus on a 15th century B.C. date. Uh, Some have also said it demonstrates that texts like Deuteronomy 27 and Joshua 8 have a historical basis. So this could be obviously a big deal as far as the historicity of the Bible, Exodus, all that kind of stuff. And that's mainly why we're here today to talk about it. Now, uh, obviously a big question is, uh, you know, it's it's not being published yet, um, which means that... That, you know, the whole publishing process, uh, I guess, just tell us what's, what's, what is the importance of the publishing process? Why? Um, why? It seems like they went public first before publishing it. What is the significance of that?
1: Um, normally, when people find uh, discover things like this, they introduce their finds at a conference first or they publish them in a journal. That's normally the channels that archaeologists and not, and not just archaeologists, any person of academia, those are the channels they always go through. They go through a conference or and or uh, the uh, journal process or yeah, they, yeah, the journal process. So um, normally that's what they do. What's interesting with Stripling and, and company is that they went straight to the press and then they sensationalized it, which is it's not really taboo, but it's it's definitely a big no, no. So that's where it's raising some questions. Uh, namely, my, my problem with it is um, is the sensationalism behind it. Um, I you just, you, you just don't make sensationalist claims like that, um, how it's going to change the field of archaeology and how we look at the Bible, and it just puts the nail in the coffin for the documentary hypothesis. So I can't even think of um, a fallacy for that, but I'm sure there is one with that one. Uh, <laughs> so um but that that's the main thing we've we've got um issues with um another one is um we haven't seen the um images there are no images none um except the the image that you showed uh with the uh, tetra with well yeah the tetragrammaton minus the (laughs) one letter so um that's another thing uh the pro and, and Another thing is that they're calling it the Proto Hebrew script, and that doesn't exist. You, uh, you, you've got you've got um, the early alphabetic script, or some people call it the Proto Sinaitic script or the Proto Canaanite script. That's the script that they're talking about, um, uh, most scholars talk about. But they're making that claim that it was written in the, the Proto Hebrew. This is the oldest Hebrew inscription, I think, right? No? Yeah. So it's It's just, I've just, you know, one question after another with this, uh, with this discovery. So, So, um, another problem, um, was that, oh,
0: got a question for you. Um, Oh, okay. So if you said that it's not proto Hebrew, um, so like I've done some research, uh, you know, if you go to Wikipedia, there's, there's plenty of books that talk about, you know, proto Hebrew, like, are you saying that proto Hebrew doesn't exist or that this just can't be it? What are you, what are you saying here?
1: Um, I would argue it's a Paleo-Hebrew. There's a Paleo-Hebrew script before the square script writing that we see, that we commonly see if you just open up uh, the BHS, which is the Biblia uh, Hebraica Stuttgartensia, If you just open that up, that's all written in square script. Um, before that would be Paleo-Hebrew, in which most of the books of the Old Testament were written, which is in Paleo-Hebrew. And then before Paleo-Hebrew, you had the Phoenician script, and then the early alphabetic inscriptions, which would be the Proto-Synatic proto-Canaanite, etc. So um, that's how it, that's, that's how the scripts advance through the ages or through the years. So um, there really isn't a proto-Hebrew script, unless you want to call it like Paleo-Hebrew or something. So, uh, but it's definitely the old Hebrew script is what I would call it, Um, not proto-Hebrew, but that's, you know, that doesn't matter. Um, is a descendant of the Phoenician script, which is a descendant of the early alphabetic script. So, yeah.
0: And what's your claim? What, so, what's your, I guess, issue with people calling it, uh, you know, proto Hebrew script or Paleo Hebrew?
1: Um, I've got no problem with Paleo Hebrew because we actually have evidence. We actually have scripts written in Paleo Hebrew. Um, some of the Dead Sea, I think some of the Dead Sea Scrolls were. Um, that's how far down Paleo Hebrew went. Uh, with the square script. So um, yeah, um, it's just, that's just not what we call it, uh, normally Proto-Hebrew, because we don't know, like um, some of the scripts could be written in, um, they could be using a script and it's written in another language. Um, I was gonna quote here um, Dr. Colston of George Washington University on this very thing. and I'll just, uh, this might be, okay, so I'll start here at the paragraph. So he says here, uh, this is what Colston says. So he goes, for example, the well-known Tel-Farighia statue inscription found in Syria in 1979 is written in a rather majestic Phoenician script, but the language of the inscription is in Aramaic and not Phoenician. So these scripts could have been circulating uh, like, you know, Sinai uh, 374, um, there's so, all, all these inscriptions throughout the sign. I could have been using that script, but you don't know what language it was using. So you can't really just automatically shoehorn something in there and say, oh, this is proto-Hebrew or this is Hebrew.
0: So. So essentially, we just don't know a way to differentiate between whether it's proto-Canaanite or uh, proto, you know, all the different um well, I guess what are the dif- different options that this is?
1: Oh, um, so the different options, well, uh, they, p- some scholars call it different names. So, proto Canaanite, proto Sinaitic, um, it's the same script. Um, uh, Colson prefers to call it early alphabetic script. Um, that's the difference uh, between it. But it's definitely the precursor to the Phoenician script. And then, Phoenicians is the precursor to the old Hebrew script.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Now, um, so obviously you have the question of a picker feet. So I'm under the understanding that, you know, first before one, one obviously we don't have pictures of it yet. And no, I'm I'm under the understanding that that's an issue because we don't have the ability, or archaeologists, people actually know what they're doing, don't have the ability to look at it and come to their own conclusions. Like we have to. Rely on the assumptions of people like Gershon Galil and uh, Peter mm-hmm. Gert van Deer der Veen, um, those two people. So, mm-hmm. so I guess my question is, um, like, is it possible that you know the picture that Gershon Galil drew for us, like, that's not actually what it is?
1: Um- it's it, it's an actual script but um to go out to come out and just confidently claim that that's a tetragrammaton minus the um the hay um is a bit sensationalist um is, and speculative is the problem so so you're saying that, that that's my be, issue with it
0: so you're saying that it could be something else
1: yeah yeah it could gotcha. be definitely be something else another thing is that Um, it was written, it's written, I think the, the image is written from left to right. Um, another thing Colston says in his article for the BAR, um, the Biblical Archaeological Review, is that the direction of the writing would vary, um, in the second millennium. So he goes, some early alphabetic texts would read right to left, others would read left to right, and still others were written, um, as he calls, as the ox plows. So that is, you know, left to right, and then you go down a line, it was written from right to left, and then left to right again. Um, and then he goes on to say, occasionally a text in early alphabetic script would even be written vertically, which is what you see in some of these inscriptions. Um, in columns or so-called columnar writing. So, and it included a larger stock of consonants, arguably as many as 27 or 28, before being reduced to 22 letters, such as the Phoenician script. And that reflects the Hebrew script because the Hebrew script has the same number of letters. So um, yeah, that's the, that's the thing with it. Um, so you get by, and by the time the end of the second millennium comes around, which is the uh, late bronze age, um, he, he lists, I think three or four developments that are, that are happened. He goes, the stance of the letters became more stabilized and standardized to the direction of writing became consistently right to left, just like you see in Northwest Semitic languages like Hebrew, Aramaic. Um, And because of a number of consonant mergers, the number of letters was reduced down to 22. Vowels, of course, were still not represented yet. So because of these developments, the convention within the field of epigraphy is to refer to the next stage of the Northwest Semitic scripts as Phoenician. And then after Phoenician comes the Hebrew. So, um, yeah, and by the 11th century, these changes were in place. And so the Phoenician script, thus he concludes the paragraph by saying the Phoenician script is the heir of the early alphabetic script. So,
0: gotcha. I, okay. So, um, see, let's go ahead and get into the, you know, what the big update is. Okay. So, the, you know, yeah. once again, the update is that it was, it was, posted in the Mount Ebo, or the Archaeological and Anthropological Sciences Journal. Now, this um, has some significance. One, because of course like it's op- actually posted. What, what mm-hmm. that means is if it's finally, if it's finally published, then that's going to tell us um, you know, if it got through peer review, which is essentially you know, if it's a good journal, it's going to be able to other archaeologists, other epigraphers are going to be able to look at it, I guess, or look at the work mm-hmm. and like determine if it was done correctly and uh, what the significance is. I guess um, is that correct?
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, okay, absolutely. Um, so, it, it they just submitted it, so they've uh, the journal are the journal is going to has the decision to um, accept it or reject it ultimately um because it's such a sensationalized claim and we actually just want to know what the what all we want to know all about the inscription they'll more than likely accept it i think so we can actually see read the findings for ourselves so i actually see them accepting it but the problem is the is the is the length it takes for them to accept it um it's it's exhaustive it could be uh, it could be months, maybe a year. So that's the only problem with the journals, is it takes a long time, especially in the fourth quarter. And it's September and Christmas, and here in the West, you know in America, the Christmas and Thanksgiving are coming up, so they may postpone it till next year.
0: Oh man, uh, yeah. So the official post date, well, at least Scott, Stri- Scott Stripling said that he posted it on July 18th. So we have a little oh, bit okay. of time, but not a huge huge amount of time there um, since yeah. it's being posted um, on today, or since we're doing this video on today. But anyways, um, I got a question for you. So, and, you mm-hmm. know, he they originally came out with it, you know, what, like four or five months earlier. Now, yeah, in March, sudden, late March. Yeah, late March. So they had, what, two or three months, and they finally decide to... Um, uh, submit it to the to a journal why do you mm-hmm. like is that normal that it would take so long to submit it
1: not really um, you you do the field reports usually archaeologists will do a field report and in that field report they can start um, coming up you know start the writing process and then submit it it shouldn't take that long Um to my knowledge it doesn't take that long it doesn't it certainly doesn't take months like march to july um it shouldn't really take that long um because you do the field report on site so yeah so and then you convert the field report to a paper i mean I'm, this is basically this is basic it's a little more stuff involved but field report and then they can it, they come up with a, a paper and then they submit the paper to the article or as it becomes a conference paper so okay. that's usually how it works mm-hmm. like sbl okay. in november would have been fine
0: interesting society
1: for biblical literature
0: <laughs> yeah yeah uh so um so that's a little weird um another thing worth mentioning is the quality of the the, the quality of the journal would you say this mm-hmm. is a good journal bad journal do we know much about the journal
1: from from what i've i've found out it's it's not really a good journal um I'm more surprised they didn't try and get it to the, the biblical um, for the bar, the biblical archeological review. Um, That's a, that's better (laughs) for lack of a better term. Um, I honestly thought they would have gone there or they could have just presented. I would have been acceptable if they had just presented this at the SBL or um, the ETS, the evangelical theological society. Uh, It would have been great, um, but they never did. Um, Now I'm not saying that they, may or i'm not saying that they may not in november which is when the conference is up and running um so but we'll just have to see for that but i'm at least happy that they finally submitted a a journal article
0: i think it's a, mm-hmm. a red flag at all that they didn't submit it to one of the top journals
1: a little bit a little bit i think it's a little bit of a red flag
0: We're yeah not- not a big significance for you,
1: no, not really. I, I just want to see it. Uh, I know there are a couple of other uh, Old Testament scholars who just want to see the images, and and just read it so they can write, you know, articles, you know, um, peer review it, basically.
0: And I, you kind of mentioned this briefly, but how do we? Why do we think that it's not the best journal?
1: Um, rating for one. Um, Rating is is pretty big. Um, It's kind of low on the rating. Um, As far as people accessing it, not a lot of people read it. So the content that they publish may not be good. Things like that usually defines how good or bad a journal uh, actually is. So
0: So that means they have, I guess, less of a standard of good quality Mm -hmm. that they allow to publish? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's like well, universities and seminaries have, you know, operate the same way with ratings and um, the 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 worthiness, I guess, if you will, of the degree programs, etc. So,
0: gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, all right. Yep. So that's the update, guys. We appreciate you guys watching, and this been fun.